Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, January 26, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I'm Broadway AMA's Caitlin Milligan. Uh, James, coming up this weekend, I know you told me we have a new episode of Class Notes with Lauren uh, Lauren Class Schneider. She will be speaking with the one of the the really highly acclaimed stars of the revival of Once on This Island, Alex Noel. Um, and I, I've been hearing a lot of buzz that he could be up for a Tony nomination. Um, so that should be a lot of fun uh, for people to talk about. Um, and then also I wanted to let everybody know because uh, this isn't necessarily theater, but I'm going to go see Riverdance this weekend, uh, tonight, actually. Um, uh, Caitlin, James, have you guys seen Riverdance either recently or, or sometime... I don't know. It's this is its twentieth anniversary tour, so in the past twenty years. Is this a Michael Flatley thing? It was something that Michael Flatley was originally, and then he left and started Lord of the Dance. But oh, yes, it's okay. Irish step yeah. dancing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I've uh, I think that I saw Riverdance when it was on Broadway. Okay. Yeah, I uh, you know I've got like, I'm like one eighth or one sixteenth Irish or something, so I guess I can move my legs without moving my upper body or arms or something and figure that out. That's usually how I dance, and I don't even know yeah. I'm Irish. So. <laughs> Very nice. And uh, Caitlin, Caitlin, this will be uh, your last day on Broadway with us for a while as you are embarking on a new adventure, but you're going to be here in Central Florida with me. Um, you're going to be starting that on Monday as you uh, begin working for the Walt Disney Corporation. Yes, on Monday I start my journey with the Disney College program. Even though you're out of college. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. they let you apply they... up to six months. So uh, any recent grads out there? Oh, I just missed still the cutoff. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, well, uh, you will be here in town with me, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, see some theater uh, together at some point. I think we're already planning on waitress uh, when the tour comes to town. If you're not working on the night it's here, so uh, we'll mark that down. Off. <laughs> Are you allowed? Are you actually allowed to request off? I didn't think you were because that's actually like mickey mouse slave labor over there with the disney college program you can you can request in advance and i mean i don't it's not like a guaranteed but you can and then you also can trade shifts so if there's someone that like if i know someone hopefully that is nice and wants to trade with me (laughs) all right fair enough so waitress is in the books uh hopefully nothing uh weird happens and you get on donald duck's bad side or something that'd be terrifying (laughs) (laughs) so I was thinking when you were talking about the uh, river dance thing that you're one eighth Irish or something like that that we almost transitioned to an ancestry commercial. You know, to <laughs> if, a... if ancestry.com wants to sponsor us, I will be glad to talk about what percentage of each nationality I am. <laughs> they want to pay us. I'll talk about whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, and then uh, Caitlin could go around and. Uh, you know, prick all the people over at Disney and find out where they're from, you know, <laughs> or or we could just go over to Epcot and drink around the world like people do uh, on a regular basis. Oh, that is, yes. Sounds yes. a lot better than pricking people. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. We better get on to the news here. Yes. <laughs> all right. First up in the news, Denzel finds his Iceman castmates. Yes, I think, James, when we discussed Denzel's casting in this show initially, I speculated that there would be at least another big star or two, similar to what we've seen done with other revivals of the show in the past. However, 
so far, with rehearsals starting on Monday, that does not seem to be the case. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some tremendous theater actors in this company, but no names that even approach the same orbit as Denzel. Not that many could, obviously. But like I said, there are some fantastic theater pros in the mix, including the previously reported Tammy Blanchard, which I think we talked about last week. But now the officially announced company, in addition to Denzel and Tammy, will include the legendary Bill Irwin, stage and screen star David Morse, Tony winner Frank Wood, Tony nominee Reg Rogers, Danny Master. Uh, I always screw it up. I practice and I screw it up every time we talked about this guy on the show. Danny Master DiGiorgio, Star Trek Deep Space Nine star Cole Mamini, the instantly recognizable Dakin Matthews and more. Obviously, we'll have the complete list in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. But here's one thing that's interesting. The press release and IBDB does not list anybody playing the role of Rocky. Now, that role was created by Guys and Dolls' original Harry the Horse, Tom Petty. It's P-E-D-I. He's the cousin of Broadway performer and writer and producer and Sirius XM host Christine Petty. Um, and in the last revival, it was played by Tony Danza back in 1999. So this is not like a throwaway role. So unless they completely cut Rocky, who I believe is a boxer, um, unless they cut him completely out of the show, I think there might be – I mean – it's O'Neill, so it's super long anyway, so you might need to cut some stuff. But um, I think there might be at least one more announcement coming. Like I said, rehearsals start on Monday, so it might be coming then. I mean, that could be a big name. Bobby Cannavale's name has been bandied about um, with this show, so that could be exciting. I've also heard Raul Esparza mentioned uh, with this show once or twice. So there might be another name coming to go along with this incredible group. But James, Caitlin, you know, I don't think any of these actors uh, or actresses names alone will necessarily sell tickets beyond, you know, their individual immediate family. Um, But I do think this will go a long way to making this an incredibly powerful revival. Uh, You know, we're going to talk about Harry Potter here in a minute. That's going to suck a lot of the, the wind out of the play categories, but it's a new play. Iceman is going to be a revival. So this could be with this quality of a cast could be the thing pacing the field when it comes to play revivals this season. I'm telling you, I have, I have two words for you. Okay. Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> hey, sell a lot of tickets, sell a lot what about, of tickets. What's, what about Andy Carl as I was thinking that. Boxer Rocky? <laughs> I was thinking Andy Carl. Exactly. That would be funny. That would be great. Yeah. But I like Stallone better. That's good. I like I that. mean, with the big names up there, you know? Yeah. That would be uh He's a an Oscar winner, I believe. Uh, yeah, he won for Rocky, didn't he? Yes, for the, for, the uh, writing, for writing the writing script. Yes. Yeah. And he was also nominated for Creed a couple years ago. Yeah. I you know uh, like Mark Hamill, who was very famous in the 70s and 80s for Star Wars, but not really for his acting, but for his lack of acting, his latest, uh, Mark Hamill's latest turn in the new Star Wars is a pretty good acting turn. So maybe Stallone's got some, uh, got some Iceman in him. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just a little offended by your critiques of Mark <laughs> Hamill's acting. Um, As Caitlin might know, he is one of the best voice actors Mm. that has been working for the past few decades. He has been a constant in cartoons. I'm just talking about Star Wars. He was pretty terrible in Star Wars as an actor. Didn't 
didn't he get into voice acting because of the accident that he got into that like yes. messed up his face? He was yes, that is correct. Um, I don't remember all the details, but that is correct. So good for you. Look at that. Pulling out the random pop culture knowledge there. But anyway, maybe, maybe Mark Hamill would be a great Rocky in this production. Uh, Iceman cometh. I'm thinking Val Kilmer. Okay. All right. Uh, Iceman. And I get you. Get that I get reference. You. Juice. Excellent. Yeah. I got you, Juice. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next story is uh, the stage releases. It took me a minute. What was that? It took me a minute. <laughs> Oh, the stage releases a troubling study on harassment in the theater. Yeah, this is, uh, I, you know, we've talked about this. We, we don't like talking about this. We Unless it's something that really hits the theater tremendously, we try to let other news outlets cover these stories. But this is one that we just couldn't pass up, and that's why we put it up here at the top of the show. But yesterday, one of our favorite publications, James, you talk about it a lot, UK's The Stage, released a report based on a survey that they did with more than 1,000 theater professionals and students from all walks of theatrical life, from actors to front of house to creative to backstage to management. The survey of 1,050 people focused on harassment of all kinds in the workplace and the results were frankly staggering, even if you kind of assumed that they would be troubling. This is probably even more than you expected. According to the stage, more than 40 percent of the people polled said that they had been bullied in the theater, while nearly one third said that they had experienced sexual harassment. Eight percent of respondents said that they had been actually sexually assaulted while at work, including several accounts of rape. The stage does does note that, quote, while the survey indicates that sexual harassment is prevalent in the industry, levels of bullying are found to be higher. Respondents described feeling, quote, systematically disrespected, devalued and belittled by colleagues or fellow cast members. Sixty seven percent of respondents who had been harassed and or bullied did not report that to the immediate um superiors or people responsible that they should have reported to it or could have reported uh, it to. And that is even higher amongst freelancers who fear that it could impact their ability to be hired again by that company or that they could develop a reputation that could be that could prevent them from being hired elsewhere. Some other points from the study include the fact that backstage professionals recorded the highest levels of sexual harassment and of the incidents of sexual assault that were reported. 79% of the respondents that did the reporting claimed that they did were not made aware of any action taken after the report was made, which is probably the most frustrating and angering uh, part of this whole thing. Um, we will have a link to the stages article and the full report in the show notes. And uh, on a semi-related basis, I did want to mention that yesterday, Goodspeed Musicals announced that they had decided to remove the musical Bullets Over Broadway from their season and replaced it with The Drowsy Chaperone because of the ongoing questions about the show's book writer, Woody Allen. Now, you know, guys, I, we've talked about this a couple times, and I don't know that I have anything new or especially insightful to add to this topic. But as someone who loves the theater and, and admires and respects the vulnerability that its practitioners must have to create that art that I love, to hear that this place, which is, you know, been so life affirming and in a practically religious experience to me throughout my life can be this dangerous and treacherous for the professionals uh, that make their living in it is is really saddening to me. And I, I, don't, I don't know that I have anything else really insightful to say, but it, it is really saddening to think about all these people who give their life to this thing that I love and then have to go through this just to make a living. I think a mistake that many of us make that work in the theater uh, 
think that we're different than the rest of the general public, and we're coming to see here that uh, what has been happening out in the world uh, outside of theater, it, we are not insulated from it in the world of theater, and it's important for us uh, to be aware and to uh, take a strong stand against what we see as uh, as wrongs being done against others. It's it's really important for those uh, to stand up together with our 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 fellow uh, fellow people that are are working in this industry to make sure everything is right. And and what we see with uh, Goodspeed making a stand there. And others within the industry, uh, you know, coming forward in the last couple of months, I think that uh, making the theater community that much better is a great way to begin the healing for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Next up, the Tony Awards Administration Committee makes a second set of rulings. Uh, Yes, not a ton of shocking news in here, but the committee mostly just confirmed some assumptions that were widely held based off of the assumed uh, uh, petitions that were made by the producers of certain shows. The rulings included the fact that Stephen Pasquale, John Leguizamo, and Mark uh, Mark Rylance will all be eligible for Best Performance by an Actor in a Play. Both Katrina Link and Tony Shalhoub will be considered for their respective leading role in a musical categories for the band's visit. Ethan Slater will also be eligible for the lead category for SpongeBob. Keegan-Michael Key and Laura Benanti will be in the featured categories for their performances in Meteor Shower. And this one interested me because once on this island's Haley Kilgore will be in the lead actress in a musical category, even though LaShawn's was nominated for the original production in the featured category. I think I think Tamoon deserves to be in the leading category. I think LaShawn's, uh, the producers of the original productions, were trying to keep her away from uh, Leia Salonga, ironically enough, mm. um, who, who won that year in the lead category. But I uh, LaShawn's didn't win for Once on this Island, and I don't remember who did off the top of my head, but because um, LaShawn's Tony's for Color Purple. But uh, anyway, so that was just interesting to me. Also, Claire Van Campen will be eligible for Best Orchestrations for Farinelli and the King. Um, one curious thing here, and it could be just as simple as the producers made no um, petitions, but neither Springsteen on Broadway nor the Parisian woman were listed as shows were, that were discussed by the committee. Now, both the children and M butterfly were listed in the press release as being discussed, but had no actual changes made in the body of the press release. So it was a little interesting that two shows were discussed, but no changes and two other shows weren't discussed at all. So, you know, Springsteen on Broadway and the Parisian woman opened in between some of these other shows. So I don't know, other than that, they just made no petitions, so they weren't discussed at all. Um, I don't know why the Parisian woman wouldn't have been included, um, unless it was following in the footsteps of its Hudson uh, predecessor, Sunday in the Park with George and his skipping awards. Um, I doubt that would happen, but you know, I can think of about 2.5 million reasons why Springsteen wasn't included. But other than that, James, do you think it's just that they had no petitions to change from their original opening night billing. Does that make sense? I know we have some people involved with the nominatings and stuff, so they might know. Uh, I just found it odd that the children and, and butterfly were discussed, but no changes, but Springsteen on Broadway and, and, and Parisian woman weren't even mentioned at all in the press release. I, I, I wonder, I, I think that there is a lot of paperwork that's involved with, going before these committees and i wonder if they d- 
did that, seeing as Springsteen has taken on such a uh, uh, a different uh, feeling than originally it was going to be a very short run, and then yeah. it extended and extended, and so maybe yeah, that one would make sense. That one would make sense to me. Yeah, I I, I still haven't seen it, so I, I couldn't really <laughs> give you my artistic point of view on it. Well, I, I was more I was more interested about the Parisian woman, why that wasn't <laughs> in there. If it was if it was just because they're going as is, or if there was some other reason why not. I mean, we, the, the reason I ask is because obviously in that first announcement that the, the committee made 1984 didn't yeah. comply and they were made ineligible. So I, I would imagine they would have told us if that was the case here, but uh, it was just, you know, a, a, an interesting thing when reading the very dry press release from the uh, Tony awards. <laughs> I guess uh, we'll hear more about that as it as it comes up. So what's up in the show and casting news? Oh, some exciting stuff here. First, yesterday, Broadway World exclusively reported that the Muni has found its star for the first ever regional production of Jerome Robbins' Broadway, and that will be the wonderful Tony nominee, Rob McClure. He will be playing uh, the setter and all of the other roles in the subsequent vignettes that that part entails. This is the track that earned Jason Alexander his pre-Seinfeld Tony Award. This will be McClure's eighth show at the Muni, and what an incredible honor. You know, we've talked about how uh, unusual it is to see this show produced. It's only been, this is only the third production that will ever have happened after the Broadway and the national tour runs. Um, so that's really fantastic. And kind of tangential to that, as I was going through Rob's resume, I remembered that he, or I saw that he was in uh, Irma LaDuce at Encores a few years ago. And even though he's probably too young, it got me thinking that he would be a fantastic Mr. Kringleine in their upcoming Grand Hotel that I've got tickets to see. Mm -hmm. So just putting that out there, if it happens, I called it also Helena York would be a great Miss Flemshen. But anyway, just throwing that out there. If uh, Jack Bertel wants to call me up and hit me up for casting ideas. Um, moving on, yesterday, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child opened up a new registration window for a new block of tickets. You can register via Ticketmaster Verified Fan through January 31st at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And then beginning on February 7th at 11 a.m., they will make tickets available at all price points from March 16th of 2018 through March 10th of 2019. And of course you must be a verified fan to purchase tickets. Sorry, James. Um, you can register at harrypotterplay.com slash register, or if you can't remember that incredibly complicated link, we will have it in the show notes. And finally, in this section, speaking of tickets selling fast, last night in the, uh, the Daily Mail's Baz Bomba Boy reported that Tina, the Tina Turner musical, is selling so well in the West End that they have already decided to extend through October of this year even though they haven't even finished their second week of rehearsals. The show will begin performances on 21 March at the Aldwych Theater and will star Tony nominee Adrian Warren. If this continues to sell well and the reviews are halfway decent, um, I would be shocked if this didn't make its way back across the pond uh, to New York, perhaps as early as spring of 2019, which very well could possibly be an entire season of just jukebox musicals at this point, uh, jukebox and bio musicals. But, um, you know, I, I love Adrian Warren. She is one of my favorites ever, ever since I've seen, I saw the, uh, Atlanta world premiere, bring it on the musical. I have loved her. So if this is kind of the big star making role that she has rightly deserved for a long time and she does it over there and then brings it here, I am totes on board with that. Hmm. 
All right. Uh, a season only of Biomusicals. I think that half of the audience just killed themselves. <laughs> I'm just saying. I definitely it, did. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of them. I mean, because yeah. you're going to get, uh, you're, you're probably going to get the Temptations thing. You're going to get Cher. You've got this. Maybe cool. you'll have Bobby Darren. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting something else, but uh, there's there's a lot. And then you start throwing in things, uh, you know, like the movie to musical thing with uh, with Pretty Woman. And I don't have my list of shows up uh, and, and, and theaters, but it's possible. So sad. <laughs> I, we'll have that discussion later. I don't think it's <laughs> sad, but whatever. All right. Next up in the news, Patty Lapone buries a hatchet in Andrew Lloyd Webber's neck. No, no, that's not what it says. It's oh, wait, I read it wrong. I read it wrong. Hold on. I'll, <laughs> you just I'll take it again. Okay. Yeah. Next up in the news, Patty Lapone and Andrew Lloyd Webber allegedly bury the hatchet. Yes, believe it or not, the long theatrical nightmare has apparently come to an end. As the New York Post's Michael Riedel is reporting that there has been a ceasefire reach, uh, reached in the more than two-decade feud between Patty Lapone and the right uh, Honorable Lord Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Apparently this happened because, as we've mentioned before, Patti Lapone will be recreating her legendary Grammy Awards performance of Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. When the uh, Grammys are back at Madison Square Garden this weekend uh, in New York, for the rehearsal, apparently Patti Lapone said that she wanted uh, to, to have Andrew Lloyd Webber be the one to trim it up to make it ready for presentation on the CBS broadcast. When uh, Sir Lloyd Webber got there, he got there first. Patty Lapone came in a few min- minutes later, and as everybody uh, was holding their breath to see what happened, uh, Patty Lapone got on the mic and said, "Hello, Andrew. This is a de- this is a detente, ladies and gentlemen." And then there were big laughs. They embraced and they started working. Apparently, they also um, had a, a few moments afterwards where they spoke. One-on-one, he made her laugh, um, and it seemed like uh, things were, at least for the time being, uh, hunky-dory between the two. Apparently, Patti Lapone still sounds fantastic, um, and, and uh, according to one of Riedel's sources, Andrew was blown away, and he even joked with her that it was time for her to come back and revive Evita on Broadway. Um, everybody knows the story now, and we talk about it quite a bit because it's just so fun um, how Patti Lapone originally was cast as Norma Desmond in the London production of Sunset Boulevard, and she was contractually bound to do it on Broadway. Then after Glenn Close opened the show in Los Angeles, Patti was bumped. Patti sued him, uh, sued Andrew Lloyd Webber for a million dollars, then built a pool with that money, which she subsequently called the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Pool. So uh, I I don't know if this is more unbelievable than hell freezing over, but apparently a performance on the Grammys can work miracles. I didn't realize that she had built a pool. Of course, she could have had an effigy of Andrew Lloyd Webber made and she could have floated him in it like Joe Gillis. Well done. Well done. Hmm. (laughs) All right. Caitlin, for the last time, what is happening this week off the stage? I mean, hopefully not the last time, but for a little while. <laughs> Jeez, you're killing me off. Pre- today. You are for the last time pre Disney. All right. Yes. Well, well, yeah. Okay. So our week off the stage begins tomorrow night at Fifty Four Below. The new musical, The Last Day, created by Mike Reed and Sarah Schlesinger, will be performed for the first time. Commissioned by Penn State Musical Theater and performed by the talented seniors in the program. 
The Last Day is a new musical theater piece about a young man who has grown up tormented by a secret he has never shared. When he's accepted into an elite musical theater performance ensemble at a major university, he believes he can finally realize his potential. But as his junior year ends, he is abusing drugs prescribed earlier in his life, isolating himself from his classmates and creating chaos for his peers. When he is dropped from the ensemble, he believes they are responsible and sets out to destroy himself and seek revenge. Through a troubled night, the other students in the ensemble help him to realize the value of his life and discover that they never what they never realized about themselves. So definitely don't miss this new musical on Saturday at 9.30. It sounds very interesting. And since it's the first performance, uh, you'll get to see all these new songs. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. the first sounds are- really cool. That's those are the things, Caitlin, that you are not going to be able to do when you leave. You're actually gone. You're in Miami right now. But now that you've left New York uh, here in Orlando, we don't we don't have cool things like that. All right. You don't have to. (laughs) But New York doesn't have (laughs) the the, the magic uh, kingdom or anything. The happiest place in the world. Six months in Disney. I can always go back to New York. It'll be there in six months, hopefully. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) And then on Sunday, the 28th at 12 p.m. is Say Songwriting Project at Joe's Pub at, at Joe's Pub at the Public. Say the Stuttering Association for the Young is a not-for-profit dedicated to helping young people who stutter find their voice. They present the culmination of their songwriting project. The young participants, ages 8 to 18, worked per- with professional songwriters to bring their original songs to life. Also on Sunday... Camp Broadway will present Before Broadway, a unique amateur talent show featuring an ensemble of 15 aspiring performers ages 18 to 22, singing the songs by the Broadway composers who have inspired their dreams of having a career on Broadway. Cast through a national online search by a team of Broadway professionals, the members of the Before Broadway Ensemble will make their New York stage debut performing solos, duets, scenes, and stories that reflect their personal journey to Broadway. This is a 75-minute, one-night-only concert, and it will also feature Broadway veteran Adam Cantor of The Band's Visit, who will host the show. Don't miss out on these future Broadway stars at 54 Below at 7 p.m. Caitlin, did you see see The Band's Visit before you left town? I did. I saw it on Friday, actually. Yeah, you mentioned Adam Cantor, and he is that... What a weird, interesting part he has in that show. And I don't want to talk about because this is really neither here nor there. But I was <laughs> listening to the cast recording. But the fact that he literally stands still for most of this show and stares at a telephone and then delivers this ungodly beautiful performance at the end of the show is uh, is remarkable. I was listening to the cast album yesterday and I was just like, that's just so weird like i can't think of any other part like that ever but anyway uh, he's fantastic i agree i mean i've been his fan since uh the last five years uh at second stage and Mm -hmm. seeing him in that yes um it was so interesting i was like waiting and waiting for him and i was like are they not gonna give him a song and then i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) but it was definitely a worthy song yeah lots of waiting going on going on in the band's visit Ah, yes there is Ah. (laughs) (laughs) So after Before Broadway, one of Broadway's most celebrated performers, Anthony Rapp, brings his unplugged evening of stories and songs to 54 Below with musical director Dan Weiss. Unplugged audiences can expect to hear some of the great songs that have inspired Anthony at 9.30 p.m. 
On Monday, the 29th, the Broadway at Birdland concert series is proud to announce the return of singer-songwriter Victoria Shaw in Under the Covers. Hosted by Shaw, the show has become a favorite recurring highlight at Birdland, featuring a wide variety of top-selling songwriters and musical acts from across the pop, rock, and country worlds, and offering an intimate acoustic performance of huge hit songs, along with the little-known stories behind them. This is a one-night-only event that will take place at 7 p.m., and Victoria's special guests will be Morgan Evans and Lee Bryce. On Monday, over at 54 Below, is 54 Sings Calamity Jane. Join Broadway veterans Michael Park, Tally Sessions, Kara Lindsay, Christopher Gurr, Tyler Haynes, two-time Tony Award nominee Brandon Uranowitz, and Calamity Jane herself, Sarah Jean Ford, on this madcap adventure through Deadwood City in the musical Calamity Jane. Tickets for the 9.30 p.m. show range from $30 to $65. And I'll jump in here. Um, Ford has tweeted out that there have been a couple of revisions of Calamity Jane throughout the years, but all of them have been done by men. Ford herself did the revision for this production. It is the first time that Calamity Jane has ever been uh, revised or edited for the stage by a woman. Um, so I think in a story that is specifically about an incredibly strong woman, that that's pretty noteworthy. And uh, and uh, I hope a lot of people go. That has a fantastic cast that you just mentioned, Caitlin. Yeah, definitely. That sounds awesome, too, that it's finally revised by a woman. <laughs> and then on Tuesday at Joe's Pub, Matt Doyle will be, will be performing at 9.30 p.m. Catch him now for $20 before he makes his Carnegie Hall debut with the New York Pops. It's a good chance to see him in a more intimate setting. On Thursday, February 1st, which is it just me or did January feel like forever? So I'm yes. glad we're finally getting to <laughs> February because this one month has felt like four months. Um, on the first, Claire Manship and friends are, are proud to bring their celebration of female empowerment, the ladies who lunch, an evening for Planned Parenthood of NYC to 54 <laughs> Below. What? That's a great title. Uh, oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> hey, if that's what you're going to use, go for it. <laughs> Directed and produced by Claire Manship and the evening's performers, the ladies who lunch is a night featuring songs that help women verbalize, vent, and discuss their specific issues, wherein a portion of the proceeds will go to Planned Parenthood of New York City. Featuring Broadway national tour off-Broadway and regional favorites, such as Trista Dollison, Tessa Grady, Katie Morin, and more, The Ladies Who Lunch is an exciting evening of fundraising and female empowerment with music and messages all can relate to. Join them at 9.30 p.m. to show your support for this worthy cause and these incredible performers. And finally, starting on February the 1st through the 3rd, is The Loser's Lounge, a tribute to Barbara Streisand. The Loser's Lounge is back at Joe's Pub with all of the incredible songs, great performances, irre irreverent antics, and special guests that you can only find there. For one weekend only at Joe's Pub, don't miss out on the 7 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. shows of The Loser's Lounge. And that's all for me with what's coming up off the stage for a little while. I'll see you guys back again soon uh, as the mouse and I become friends for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well... Thanks a lot, Caitlin. Uh, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt and subscribe to Some Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Caitlin, where can people follow your journey at the happiest place on earth? They can follow my journey at, at Kate Milligan, K-A-I-T. 
And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for wrapping up the week with us. Uh, as Matt said, we're going to have a uh, class notes with Lauren Class Schneider and uh, Alex Newell from Once in the Silent tomorrow. And then on Sunday, this week on Broadway, and Matt and I will be back in your ears on Monday morning. So, yeah. 